happens when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the Pickup app today. That's PKUP and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. You're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. It's Christmas and just over, and we're now in a new year, or just about to be a new year, and joining Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock is one of the long-term men of engineering fame and skill, George Commons, late of the Kelly Racing, now to be going Erebus-bound. Welcome, George. Good to have you on the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Now, George, before we actually start about where you're going and what you're going to be doing, let's just talk about what you've done to date. Now, you got an engineering degree back uh, this century, um, but it came in Queensland, I understand. Yeah, that's right, yeah, 2003, I graduated from the University of Queensland with a a mechanical engineering degree. And, um, and yeah, went straight from there into the life of motorsport with Mark Larkin, which was a, a very enjoyable two years, and I certainly learned a lot, learned a lot from Larko and that, that whole team environment, so, yeah. Larko's has been quite an amazing uh, training ground for engineers and, and senior mechanics and senior people behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's still quite a few of us that are, are still in the sport, which is um, sort of a, a testament, I suppose, to the environment that he exposed us to. Um, and, you know, he, ironically, he was also the, the person who, who got me a job at Williams when I was living in the UK because he gave Ben Michael his first job in motorsport. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was a great environment and a great team. We all worked quite hard, or very hard, I would say. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was a good place to still learn the trade and such. Yeah, there was no silver tray service for you at Larkos, was there? You you weren't you living there, didn't you? You and Dato and uh, um, Jeremy Moore, um, all of that school, along with um, Kenny, of course. Kenny of Engines fame. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, so certainly Dato and, um, and Jeremy were literally the year before I, I joined the team, but um, it's, uh, certainly the legacy was already there, you know, what, what they'd done before, and, and then uh, it's clear to see what they've gone on and done since then. Um, but no, yeah. Oh, I really enjoyed my time there, and like I said, there's still quite a few of us from that original team that are still in the sport, which is I think is a great testament. Um, yeah. You you left Lycos and then went to Dick Johnson's, and that was the era um, of uh, Will Davison was there. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. So I did three years at, at DJR. So yeah, with Will and Will and Steve. So I ran Steve, and um, obviously Will was that was his first year in the championship in 2006. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I mean, we had to sort of from the end of 2006, Adrian Burgess came on board and then we we started to do, we were the first sort of team to do a deal with Triple Eight in order to get componentry and, you know, hardware as such. And then it was up to us to, to, to run the cars and do the, do the race engineering. Um, and, you know, we had some good success with that to a reasonable degree over the next couple of years. And then obviously the team went on two years later to win the championship with, uh, with Courtney. 
in in Triple Eight gear, but you know them still running the race team. Okay, so then it's uh, two thousand and six, um, and it was Sam Michaels, I assume, that Lyco's a old engineering friend that got you uh, the job at Williams. It was Sam Michaels got the introduction. That well, yeah, that that's yeah, hundred percent correct. So I went went to the UK and I did Formula Three for a couple of years through a contact of Adrian's uh, at a team called Double R Racing. Um, Worked with some, some good young drivers there, and then yeah, I got the introduction to, to Sam Michael and Williams through Larco, or at least Williams were advertising, and so Larco put it in good work for me, and yeah, then I ended up at Williams as a big engineer. Um, yeah. And so was now your job in engineering what in Formula One what you thought you were going to be doing from the start? It was the real deal, as in making bits, designing bits, and and, and you know moving major sort of. Uh, events in, in the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I never really wanted to be a Formula 1 designer. I always wanted to be a, a trackside engineer. And so this was always inside the trackside group. And so I went to several or quite a few of the Grand Prix and then I also did the, the you know, factory-based uh, support for the ones that I wasn't there, which is, you know, you, you're essentially running as a third data engineer and you're also doing the, the lap simulation. Um, and then I also ran the driver and leap simulator, which in those days, Valtteri uh, Bottas was the the, the young driver at Williams, so I spent a lot of time with him. He was in probably two or three days a week, and we'd be on the in the driver and lead simulator, running through whatever programs that either the vehicle dynamics group or the aerodynamics group wanted to, to look at for that period. Um, so certainly learned a lot. It was um, yeah, I, I learned an awful lot. But I, ultimately, I thought I, I could probably have more influence if I moved away from Formula One and sort of back into the categories where you, you still have young drivers and, and people you can. Uh, you know, help on their way and make a real difference. If I go back a step, can I ask you, when you were doing your engineering, was that because yeah. you had a previous interest and love of motorsport? Uh, not so much. I, I would say I wouldn't wasn't much more than a, a casual fan. Um, but then, as, as my engineering degree went on, and I did the Formula SE program at, at UQ, uh, and that sort of ignited my interest in, in motorsport as, as a career. Anyway. I thought, well, you know, this is probably a lot more interesting than you know, going and doing a mining job or sitting at a desk somewhere designing whatever, whatever, whatever it could be. So I thought, well, I'm going to focus on motor sport, and yeah, so far I've managed to make it work. How long into it did you realise that this is all about people management, and as much as it is about designing and building parts and getting them on the car working right, it's also about that uh, nut behind the wheel. Yeah, I would say probably my time at DJR, I learned a lot about that. And in terms of that, that driver-engineer relationship is quite important and having the trust of the driver and being able to relate to them as well as being able to you know, say to them, well, no, we're not doing what you want to do because of X, Y, and Z. And this is, this is the direction we're going in and, and making sure that, that that trust is there for them to buy into that and then move forward and, you know, and hopefully move the results forward. Um, so I think that, that's something I probably learnt while I was at DJR. I mean, at Williams, I didn't have so much of a influence in that because I wasn't directly involved with the race drivers. And then from there, I went into a team where we were, we were working with a lot of the young up-and-coming drivers, and that was a, a key part of the, of the success of the team. In your time in supercars, you've been involved in a number of different uh, teams and a number of different brands and makes and things like that. And, of course, the next time you bob up in the category in uh, pit lane at an Australian racetrack, you're there with the Kellys. Uh, you were Rick Kelly's engineer for some six years. 
Um, yep. And must have been interesting uh, learning something new with a, a Nissan. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, but for me, it's more about the you need to you know, understand the characteristics of what you've got, which is, might be different to what other people have got, and then work out how to maximise that to, you know, to maximise the performance of, of, of the car. Um, so, but it was, I certainly will say, the six years that I was away, the, the category took a big step in, the, in, in, in its approach and in its professionalism, and that the technical ability certainly stepped up quite a lot, um, which was you know, refreshing to come back to. Um, and I mean, we had some, some good times with the Nissan, but ultimately there was, a, there was a few things that were holding us back for a lot of it, which, which made it difficult. But, you know, we, we did the best with what we had, I would say. One of the things that I've sort of come to believe, and I've not defined uh, any evidence to the contrary, is that quite likely those Nissan Altimas were most likely the most legal race cars that have been in either the supercar or V8 supercar category. Yeah, no, yeah, I can certainly attest to that. There was we never did anything outside of the letter of the law, you know, so to speak. Um, and whether or not that's the the way you need to go racing or not, I'm sure. I'm not sure, but you know, in my certainly my career, I've always stuck to. You always push the envelope of, of what's allowed with inside the rules, but it's always still within the rules. And certainly the, the Cali boys, but that's, that's the way they go racing. And I think you know they've got a certain degree of respect from that because. You know that if you if you're dealing with those guys, then they're always going to be sticking to the rule book, and there's not going to be many sticky situations and such. And so now, the next time you took on a big project was, of course, um, bringing on the Mustangs, which uh, they've been pretty successful at. I must say that uh, it's been a delight to see a, a new team take on uh, a brand when other teams have already made a success with both Pickford. And uh, DJR team Penske proving that the car was successful. Um, it was terrific to see Kelly's getting up there. Yeah, I mean we certainly had some highs. We had a, we had a few lows of that package as well. But um, it's you know it was a, it was a big effort, particularly from Todd and the, the guys in the engine shop to actually create an engine that was it was very close to where it needed to be um, in terms of the power, which was a big. It was very good compared to the Nissan, put it that way. Um, and then, yeah, there was a few challenges which are fairly well documented out there in terms of the, the weight needed to be a bit better, which then had a knock-on effect to the, the chassis balance in terms of the, the front axle weight. But, you know, even with the COVID problems and being on the road all the time, we addressed some of that, which certainly helped. Um, and then, you know, for the rest of us, it was about me and Dylan sort of understanding the, the differences of what we had versus in the Mustang versus what we had in the, in the Nissan and then tweaking the, the setup window to try and work with that. Um, but certainly by the end of the year, we were a lot more comfortable than when we were sort of in the middle of the year around down and Townsville. So, yeah, it was it was pleasing. It seemed like you were playing catch-up to get to Adelaide, but how important or how useful was it that all the shenanigans about the car had been cleared up to a degree before you started building yours and preparing your cars? Well, I mean, yeah, it's certainly, we were a long way behind the, the, the ball or the, where we would like to have been. And, you know, prior to the first test and, and prior to Adelaide, there was, you know, an awful lot of things that we hadn't, just didn't have the time or the, the manpower to finish. Um, so, and that made it a big challenge. And, you know, the test day we were having to, split time between the cars because of engine issues and but 
you know, ultimately we managed to get through Adelaide and we were on for quite a good result with particularly with Rick until the appeal and drama. Um and yeah, I mean it is sort of at least after that we had a little bit of time in the factory to sort out some of the main issues before the whole thing went on the road, and then we really had nowhere to go. Now, it was announced uh, some time ago that Alistair McVean was joining. Um, had you actually uh, resigned or had left Kelly's by that stage? Um, I mean, I, I knew that was on the cards. Um, you know, my ultimately, my contract was up at the end of this year anyway. So I you know, had a discussion with Todd that if he could let me know when he knew what, what, what the direction of the team was going to be. This is the Bathurst that for the following year that you know if you could um, you know let me know when you could so that I could make other arrangements if I needed to. Um, you know there's, there's there's absolutely no hard feelings there. It's you know my contract was up and ultimately the you know now McBain's been announced and he'll likely come with a with a driver I would say. So that was all part of the deal and that's absolutely fine. You know I had a great time with the, with the Kelly boys for six years and I, you know wouldn't ask for anything more. Did you know that it was going to be Rick's last year? Or at what point did you get the feeling that he wasn't going to continue on? I mean, Rick and I have been talking about it for a few years, I would say. Um, but, you know, I think once the, the season got turned upside down with the, with the COVID and all, all the rest of it and the results probably weren't quite as strong as what he really would have liked, then, you know, I, I thought that was probably going to be probably going to be his last year. Um you know, he's always been very honest with me, so it wasn't a surprise, I'd say that. And, of course, you scaled back. Was it... How big a difference is a four-car team to a two-car team, considering that, one, you were running your own program that had no other um, information out there, and then coming over to the, the Mustang program where there was other cars you could judge yourself by? Well, yeah, I mean, it's certainly... It, made the, as you say, having somebody else that's in the same, essentially the same equipment to judge yourself by makes it a, a bit easier in terms of you know that, you know, you need to at least be in the, in the mix with those guys and they take that excuse out of it. I mean, the, the variable is still the engine, but you know, there's certainly they improve the weight situation and it'll be right on the money at, in every aspect. Um, and that, you know, for us, that was, that was a good step forward and so we knew that you know we had to get it right in order to, to be in the mix with the other Mustangs, um, and that it's a bit of weight off your mind. I would, I suppose you'd say, otherwise you start going down the path of we need to you know change the aero package and we need to change this and we need to change that. So at least it takes that out of it. Given for a number of years you've been in development, uh, whether it was uh, the Nissan in its last uh, couple of incantations, and then the Mustang. Um, I would think that you're now going to be in a learning phase, learning uh, the car or Walkinshaw come uh, Erebus uh, Holden Commodore, um, but more to the point, learning the team and your young driver. Um, that's going to be uh, an, another of those interesting developments for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but it, you know, it's a it's a development, it's a, it's a challenge, and it's something I'm looking forward to. So I mean, certainly, I've already been, you know, going through the, the team's information and we've had a few meetings and, you know, looking at their setup tracking and that sort of thing and there's some different philosophies. I mean, for me, what's really interesting is about the, the philosophy or the style of car that people look to run and what, how they vary that between tracks. And, you know, there's certainly some different philosophies there from what we did at Kelly's, for example. 
you can sort of identify strengths and weaknesses in, in different circuit characteristics and which can explain a little bit of our performance swings at Kelly's, I would say, and same at Erebus. So I'm sort of looking forward to amalgamating that information to try and be strong everywhere is ultimately the goal. And then um, in terms of working with a young driver, I mean, but I'm, I'm excited to work with Brody. I mean, then after I left Williams in the UK, I worked with a lot of the Red Bull Junior drivers and a lot of them made it to Formula One in the end. And that, that process of being adult in their careers where they achieve their, their ultimate dream is I think is, is it's very rewarding and you can make a real difference particularly when they're, they're young and they're keen and they have that self-belief and that's something I'm looking forward to doing again with, with somebody like Brody. Interestingly Brody bases himself up in Queensland or he has been doing over the last few years you're up in Queensland the team's down in Melbourne is it yeah. going to work well that you and the driver are close together uh, even when you're not at the workshop? Yeah, I certainly think so. Yeah, he spends a lot of time at Norwell uh, doing driving work there, so I'll certainly be involved in that. I mean, I'm, we'll be out at QR early next year in, uh, in something that he's driving out there just to you know spend a day together and, and you know start start that dialogue and the, the process of getting to know each other. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it'll work quite well. Um, yeah, ultimately, as an engineer, 90% of their work is sitting in front of a computer. So whether or not the computer's on the Sunshine Coast or in Melbourne, I don't really think makes much of a difference. Um, and you know, particularly as the category moves towards Gen 3, where it's you know, very much more a controlled car and the development all goes, comes out of it, really you're just looking for race engineers and you're looking for the, the, the team doing the best job possible on the weekend. And I'm not sure you need people you know, full-time sitting in an office all the time in order to achieve that. So what's life like for an engineer like yourself when you're not, you know, in the craziness of race weekends and the week before and after? Well, I mean, so I still, you know, the weeks before and after the weeks before are all spent doing the pre-event preparation and that's, you know, session plans and preparing all the data information for the driver and all the way you're going to run your race weekend as well as doing the strategy preparation. And then the, the pre-brief with the team, well, you know, we run through with the you know, both drivers and all the engineers and the chief mechanic exactly how the weekend's going to look, what we're playing on each session, what the likely setup changes are, or what the likely test items are if it's a test day. And then you go to the race meeting and you run the race meeting as normal. And then after that, there's the, the debrief process, which again is post-event reporting on what everybody did or what particularly what you did and what you think the directions that were worth following or they were not so much, and then strategy reporting, and then the, the debrief of the team afterwards. So I certainly wouldn't say that it, it's still quite busy, I'd say that. As events would have it that uh, you're going to be based not far away from where you've been for the last few years with Kelly's at Brayside uh, in Erebus. They're uh, out Hallam Way, I think, which isn't far. Um, yep. So it'll be much the same sort of a scenario for you this year. Um, in flying down, you'll come down in January for start of your acclimation to the Erebus way of doing things. Um, and you'll then be travelling just to the events with them. Is that correct? Ultimately, yeah. On the whole, yes. So any, any races that are in Victoria, I'll come down you know, for the, the week beforehand to spend a week down with the team. And then um, for the, you know, the ones where the team are flying to as well, I'll just meet them there. 
And then, you know, before the bigger races like Bathurst or before test days, I'll be down there earlier just to, you know, more pre-event preparation and just uh, you know, to get, get a bit of a finger on the pulse in the workshop as such. You know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, it worked very well for us at Kelly's for six years and I'm sure we can make it work with Erebus and particularly, as I said, when we go to Generation 3 and it's a much more controlled car, then I think that you'll find a lot of the teams will be looking to follow this model. Now, you travel much the same way apart from uh, one period on the road because the Kelly's road trip was uh, quite well documented. Um, Todd uh, yeah. showed himself a, a better communicator than I thought he was capable of and he he, uh, he made interesting videos of their trip um, yeah. and you joined them for some parts of that this year. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, so um, I drove to and from Sydney while the, on the first event after the, the Melbourne lockdown started. And then the team sort of headed up and uh, went into Darwin. And then I met them at Darwin and did the, the five-week trip between the two events, Darwin and then into Townsville. And then uh, we came back to the Gold Coast. I was with them then while we reprepped the cars here for Adelaide and then down to Adelaide. Um, so I didn't do the full 106 days away, but I did a, a reasonable amount of it. Um, you know, But it was, it was really good, particularly going from four to two cars. It's... Um, you know, it makes the team a lot more focused and it's a lot more tight-knit and, you know, spending the time on the road all together and there's a lot of a lot of dinners and, you know, chances for a few drinks and all that sort of thing, which ultimately worked out really well, I think. And you've got all that learning curve to uh, start your year with uh, Erebus. Uh, look, George, we, we wish you all the very best. Um, as... Uh, Craig knows I've known you for a long time and certainly have always looked upon you as uh, one of the people I turn to when I need some information, need to understand something that others have made complicated and you're one of those people that has been able to to uh, explain it to me in a way that uh, for my uh, lack of engineering skills at least can pick it up. So George, we, we wish you the very best. Um, you've got a young family, you've got a couple of kids. Yeah, yeah, two kids, five and seven. Uh, yeah, they're, oh, they're certainly at age where I'm sure they'll appreciate having you around. And, uh, George, I, I look forward to catching up with you. It might not be until the uh, uh, Bathurst or it uh, might be the test day beforehand, but uh, all the very best, George, for your new position with Erebus Motorsport. George Common, Erebus. Thank you very much, Tony, and, and Craig. It was, uh, it was very nice. Thank you. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.